Sam, NFTs are vivid. They're visual. They can convey intention, identity, passion, and pain in a way nothing else can. They are, after all, tokenized experiences. They are a touchstone for self-expression. Whether you are an artist or gamer or creator or a collector, perhaps every generation feels this, but we are bang in the middle of inflection points in culture, technology, economy, and what it means to be human. So I'm going to I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to start with a confession that might I'm going to start with a confession that like might like really like hurt my credibility the rest of the episode. Like I've learned a lot about NFTs in preparation for this, but I'm still not sure how you see one. I've seen copies of an NFT, right? By definition, I've seen copies. I've seen the exact identical replication of what an NFT is. But I don't think I've never seen an NFT because no one has ever like pulled up their I guess the only way to see it is like someone pulls up their computer screen and is like this is the real one. Could be a phone. Could be a phone. Could be a phone probably. Could be their VR uh their VR headset. Could be a laptop. What else they got? What else you got? Tablet? I mean, yeah. Could be a tablet. Yeah, yeah. tablet. Yeah, yeah. Could be a tablet. Um, are, are VR are VR are, uh, augmented glasses still around? I think you could probably see one in augmented glasses. You could probably get you could probably get some. Are those still around? Yeah. Yeah. Yo, I bet you turn all the remaining Google glasses into NFTs. Yeah, right. Yeah, just just code them. Just paint them a different kind of color and then they'll be unique. Welcome to Money for Nothing, podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon with Sam as always. Uh, I guess we're doing it. <laughs> we're at the end of our ropes, folks. Uh reality has called our bluff. Hyper, excuse me, hyper reality. <laughs> That's called hyper reality. Uh, the thing I read at the top of the show is from the Bullshit. NFT <laughs> angel investor who bought Beeple's work of art for $69 million from Christie's, the art auction house. You probably read about this. I imagine if you if you, uh, if you are somebody who listens to podcasts, I, I imagine that you've you've caught wind of this. Uh, on the surface, the headlines of the past month probably seem dumb and like it's a big bubble. And you know, it's because it is. <laughs> but it's way more complex than that. And there's actually a lot to talk about and particularly in relation to music. Where like I feel like the NFT bubble has just really started to 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 work to work its 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 scaly fingers across the landscape oh, of yeah of music like it's really starting but um i think that uh like we ain't seen nothing yet and frankly my soul shivers so that's the show thanks for listening no just kidding uh yeah uh okay so we're gonna we're gonna dive in i'm stretching i'm on the i'm on the diving board okay so i i told my buddy i'm like i'm doing a podcast on nfts and he's like what's that i'm like oh, oh man god. i want to live in your yes, word god your please, world please I, can i can i somehow my, my, unwind my unwind my sweet wonderful friend andre who just likes poetry yes and works in oh, farmers god. markets yes like uh, yes. a better life yes i love that uh that millennial though that hauntology of a of a of a, of a better world um anyways uh, we're going to give you a quick rundown of what we're talking about, and then we're going to dive into the deep waters, 
deep technological virtual waters of nfts and blockchain and all that goodness and badness uh utopian and dystopian all of it so uh sam to start why don't you go ahead and just give us a rundown of what the hell we're talking about and maybe like what's happened in the last couple weeks that have made it the the headlines uh every day okay nft stands for non-fungible tokens and Basically, it's an application. It's a way of using a technology called a blockchain. So for those who don't know, right, the most famous kind of blockchain is Bitcoin, which pretty much everyone has heard of as its value has gone up and down. And Bitcoin is another application, a way of basically building on this technology called the blockchain. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto, that's a name I love to say. And we don't know much about him, but he came to save the day. When he wrote about the way things are and the way things are to be, he gave us all a protocol this world had never seen. Oh, Bitcoin, as you're going into the old blockchain. Oh, Bitcoin, I know you're going to rain, going to rain. Basically, as far as I understand, right? Blockchains basically are a way of tracking transactions where all the transactions on a network are connected to each other and they all store their histories kind of in the transactions. So if you literally think of one central block and then chains of transactions coming off of those, all following certain kinds of rules, Bitcoin is a set of transactions based around a digital currency where new coins can be mined. And uh, it's a way of kind of banking or moving money around banking systems. NFTs, in some ways, are as if you made up your own currency, a currency of one unit of art or a limited numbers of units of art, and then turned them into their very own blockchain. So let's say I take a picture of the Mona Lisa, and then I release that picture in a limited edition of 10 NFTs. Now you might say, there's 10 NFTs, doesn't that make them fungible? To which we have to reply, no one's asking that question. And I think it's a real problem in the basic definition of the thing. But look, I didn't make up this technology's name. I would have called it non-fungible <laughs> if there's 10 interchangeable True. identical versions. However, that aside, <laughs> that aside, I'd say my picture of the Mona Lisa is the best ever picture of the Mona Lisa. I make 10 of them. I sell them for 5,000 a piece uh, with specific conditions that I can figure out the, what those spe specific conditions are, can build them into the transaction. And ideally what happens is I sell them, I mint them, right? And then I sell them. And so everyone who buys one from me, basically they say, oh, I have this picture. And also I have a kind of certificate of digital authenticity, basically, that I bought this from Sam. So Saxon buys it from me. And then Saxon sells it to his mom. And then his mom's version, correct me if I'm wrong here, Saxon, will say, I bought this from Saxon who bought it from Sam. Now, it, you can also do all kinds of fun stuff where you can build into the basic mechanism of the, the block of, of the transactions that every time it's resold, I get 10%. Yep. Notice that's not how art normally works. But in this case, which is actually kind of neat, it could be, right? So I sell it to Saxon for what do we say, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, something like that. Saxon sells it to his mom for 150 and I make $15 off of that. Right, which is the, the kind of exciting part of it, or exciting, I don't even know if I want to say exciting, but an interesting part of it that could that could uh, be advantageous for many people that we're going to discuss a little bit later. Okay, so that's the basic technological aspect. 
So what, what happens is that a lot of this stuff has been floating around in the background of the rise and falls of cryptocurrency, of this broader semi-secular cult of people who believe that this technology, forget all the other technologies, people, this one is the one that's going to fix everything. Again, we're not uh, out here saying that blockchain can't do stuff, so don't add us blockchain people, but uh, no piece of technology absent the conditions of power that structure its instantiation in society uh, does anything, and no piece of technology in and of itself could ever fix all the problems. So, like, by definition, the blockchain people are a cult. Uh, <laughs> but to reiterate, as you'll hear later in the show, uh, we do see some advantages to this and how it could be helpful. So the idea of NFTs has been kind of uh, circling around in the back of the rise and falls of various cryptocurrencies, which are currencies built on the blockchain. Bitcoin's biggest one. Ethereum is another big one. There's a couple others. I think this gets started in what, 2017, 2016, 2017, um, when some kind of like art project, science project-esque applications of potential NFTs get first get created. This kind of is going and going and really starts picking up steam in early 2021. There's a lot of money flooding into this space. And all of a sudden, the hive mind decided that these NFTs are the hot new thing. And and for the art world, right, at some level, this allows you to find, a, it creates a marketplace for digital art that did not cre exist before. And that's a whole other discussion. That's the art world, and that's not what we're particularly focused on today. There's plenty of great reportage about that. What's been interesting is in the last four weeks, this has spilled over to music in an incredibly intense way. As a number of artists, Grimes, Kings of Leon, a bunch of DJs whose music I do not pay attention to as much, Dave Matthews Band, no, that one's a joke, but like, <laughs> it's not far off. Baden, no, but actually, like, it gives you a sense, like, everyone and their uncle immediately started creating musically related NFTs and selling them to the tune of millions. Um, the biggest one and kind of the one that really pushed us over into like fever pitch was the artist Grimes, an artist who has a child with Elon Musk, um, who's also a cryptocurrency investor and general like uh, uh, hype man for hype man for all things <laughs> uh, uh, like nihilistically dystopian. <laughs> Basically, she had a NFT auction that raked in a serious amount of money for a series of combination of extremely expensive uh like one-off kind of video and mixture of like video and sound art and then a whole lot of uh more affordable ones that she sold a fair number of you know for like 70 or 100 a pop something yeah. like that that are basically just like a big cherub baby with this like kind of like whatever spaced out like chill beats to like uh disassociate to and you like filtered through a synth like pitched like extra high like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and just like this big cherub like standing over the earth and a lot lots of people bought them and she made a lot of money and at that point the like the, the the starting pistols went off 
and everyone has either released or is about like everyone is about to release an nft yeah no which which is really interesting because it also makes like having this conversation i think uh right now you know timely but also it, there's a lot of question marks and a lot there's a lot up in the air and there's a lot of like theorizing and like trying to envision like what it all mean but i think before we jump into that i think you know just you know to make it clear that like you know a lot of this is essentially injecting scarcity into something that by design or its original design at least like once created can be duplicated an infinite amount of times and it's injecting a sense of scarcity into that which is you know why you're seeing uh inflation of prices that have you know that peaked in the 69 million dollar like people work you know being uh auctioned off at christie's you know, I think just also add like an aside here that, you know, that anyone I don't I don't think anyone believes that the value of these highest price NFTs reflects any kind of like actual value or demand. And I think it's probably not too much to assume that the purchases are in a sense a, a, a kind of combination of probably money laundering and like hype. And, um, you know, especially considering like people's multimillion dollar piece, you know, which was bought by with crypto by a Singapore based blockchain angel investor. So obviously, like, there's a relationship there. But, you know, I think it I think it also uh, reveals how, like, you know, that helps them. Like this, this, this hype, this bubble is like helping people that are in that space. It's investment, it's participation, it's hype. You know, the guy that the guy that bought the Beeple piece, you know, his Twitter slogan is software eats everything. And like, uh, he, he was bought with a pseudonym that he later when he came out said was it's not a pseudonym, it's an exosuit. So I mean, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird technological space, and it's like these people are hyped and excited by the fact that this is finally blowing up and making a lot of money at it. Um, no, yeah, exactly. Like people are hyped; they're excited about this. People, there's a lot of money sloshing around. But like to be clear, that those the people that are most hyped and excited about this are like people that are already in this space and have been trying to promote it and make money off of it for a while. And like, well, so- I mean, it's a funny thing, right? Which is this? Yeah. So I say that, but then like actually, like those other people that are that are on the outside that are kind of like also getting excited. No, no, about no. It. I guess what I say it's a funny thing because that's the weird thing with hype, and this is like a long-standing, um, like a major thing of American history, right? Like the city of Chicago, <laughs> they were selling those lots for parts of the city, or this is Manhattan, right? Manhattan North of 40th Street, they were selling lots at the corner of 98th and 4th 10 years before there was a road, 10 years before there was any any buildings there. And as long as you make enough people believe that someday 98th and 4th is going to be a place, you're, it's a valid, it's valid, right? Like the boosterism, but if it crashes, if it crashes... Who knows? So just a quick side note, okay? Just like since we're on this, like about how the people that are driving this that are most hyped by this and excited by this are to make money about this, sort of like about blockchain, decentralization, uh, you know, NFTs and all that. Okay, so one of the major marketplaces to sell NFTs is OpenSea, right? And initial investments to OpenSea came from a place called One Confirmation, whose founder is a guy named Nick Tomaino, who was formerly of Coinbase. Okay, which is like a like way for which you can buy various cryptocurrencies. So I went down a little bit of a hole, um, and you know, you know, I, I found a tweet from Tomano, uh, which I feel like is very telling from what you're talking about right now, and it says that it, where he tweeted, 
feels like a simulation now, but wait until everyone realizes they can easily mint NFTs, which can accrue massive value if people just believe they are valuable, followed by a laughing, crying emoji face. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, the laughing, crying emoji face is kind of the whole thing, but it's like. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. So, so, so it's complicated. And I think that one of the things that is a struggle in this conversation right now is to separate out a bunch of different layers of this phenomenon, right? And I think it's it's useful, and, and it really is a very strange phenomenon, right? Saxon kind of uh, alluded to earlier the fact that, in some way, it's an attempt to change the nature of commodities, digital commodities, but in the case of music, musical commodities that have, over the past 30 or 40 years, tended towards the absolute repli- replicability of the piece of intellectual property, the piece of cultural production under discussion, right? So like, if you think about the initial, how hard it was to make vinyl records, tapes were easier, CDs were even easier. Um, once you get them as digital files, they're endlessly copyable. And in some ways, this is an, an, att- an attempt to inject scarcity because on a blockchain, right? there's a limited number of real versions of an NFT. Now, what's weird, though, is that you can copy them. They won't be, quote-unquote, real, and so they won't accrue investment value. But as cultural goods, like, I can go and watch the Grimes NFT like I would any video, and I can share a link. (laughs) I can download that video and share it, but what I am sharing and downloading will not accrue value and isn't attached to the blockchain and isn't quote-unquote real, isn't verified, right? So, so it is this funny thing, but it's those two, those two like the, the shadow versions that have no value and the speculative versions that are accruing value exist in this weird relationship to each other as cultural artifacts. And so there is, I think, in all of this, right? Like maybe, maybe we can take a big step back and talk about this in terms of layers, right? blockchain nft layer one pure rampant speculation yeah which is kind of like what that guy said in that tweet which is you know yes it's a bubble and the value is a fiction based on air generated by the cooling fans of some servers in utah but if you believe it then it'll come and it'll come true right so 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 (laughs) let's go level one (laughs) nfts as pure speculation and i think this this accounts for a lot of this crazy phenomenon right um everyone's home they're bored there's about to be a fair bit of stimulus money sloshing around in the economy. A lot of dudes. A lot of people <laughs> who have been going out less and have been spending a lot more time online who are still collecting paychecks uh, have a lot of investment money. The stock market's doing great. A lot of people made a lot of money in the recent Bitcoin boom and are now like fully on the bandwagon. And so there is this funny boosterism i think is the right word the other way to say this is is it's a pump and dump Mm -hmm. right as long as you keep excitement and the price is going and then you sell a lot of people are going to make a lot of money aka level one nft as stock market scale 100 it's beanie babies it's It's beanie beanie babies babies. it's beanie babies okay let's say two is nft as an expansion of the kind of band camp economy. Like I want to support these artists in a, as in an auxiliary form, right? Like I'll stream their music. I'll, I'll, I engage with their music. However, I engage with music. And in addition, I want to buy 
the bonus stuff, right? I want to, this band's important to me. So uh, a good example of this is Kings of Leon. They released kind of a, an NFT album where it's like you get bonus visuals, you know, for, for not a tremendous amount of money. And in some ways, this is like digital deluxe edition. Yeah, no, it's a digital, exactly, exactly. It's the digital deluxe edition. And this in some ways is something we've seen for a while in the music industry, right? That as the average price of an album consumed drops, right? From $20 in the late 90s, which is the way that everyone consumed music, to next to nothing via Spotify streams, other forms of profit, often tied to touring, have opened up. And we've talked about this a lot of times on the show. Yeah. And so, yeah, these are digital deluxe albums. And in some ways, I don't see it as particularly... That seems like sure, like it's it's cool that you can make an online deluxe album, but like that doesn't seem it doesn't seem any different than you know. I don't think you can learn really much from about NFTs or blockchain from what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I guess that the thing that that's interesting is there is some like long term smart contract stuff in there, which is interesting, and we'll talk about more as we go on. But the idea that but this is also something that I will say that the Silicon Valley promoters of this technology or whatever, however, whatever the term is, also use as a promotional tool to get people interested and involved. Like, you know, they're constantly on Twitter retweeting artists about their success stories selling something on Super Rare, which is like one of the NFT marketplaces. Kind of building off that, that this is just deluxe additions in some ways, a digital version for our online times. And and again, like the credit where credit is due, that to me already seems interesting in at some level in that it makes sense in an experience-based, service-based economy like what we have in the US that like a major profit center is like super deluxe experiences, backstage passes, front row tickets. If you look at the gradations of seats at live shows, the, the kinds of festival experiences where Coachella, you know, the, 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 the proliferation of different levels of wristbands. And I, there is something interesting to me at some level that, like, as our lo- lives increasingly move online, that, like, instead of being, like, a simulacrum of, like, real life, like, people are now willing to spend real money for online-only things. And that at some level, that seems like it's reflecting or, or following a broader set of moves as our lives move our real lives move online that money just follows value and as online experiences are perceived to have value that the money follows that and so in some ways this allows a whole new set of online experiences to like how is this an online experience i mean i guess like uh the thrill of throwing like you know like a shit ton of ethereum at like a kings of leon like fucking music video that's like it was made like yesterday by a like a fucking algorithm that generated it i'm confused no no it's true i mean and the thrill of having a file on your computer that, that no one else has <laughs> well i mean like uh and, and no it's that's a really good point because i'm thinking about like no no but i see what you're saying your point being is that like you know they're whatever kings of leon or, the, or their publicist or whoever it may be is taking into consideration the fan experience and the current state of what life is like right now yeah and i'm just i'm, I will give you I'm, that, I'm yeah, just thinking sure. about like in-game purchases in places like Fortnite, and those make sense right like if you're a 12 year old kid and the, your mall and i've heard this described and i don't know if it's still true but i've heard like for 12 year olds at a certain point in the last year the mall was Fortnite, right like th- that 80s mall it's like everyone goes 
they come home from school or they log rather they log off of school and then they go to hang out and shoot the shit in Fortnite. And so like buying a, a like a fancy visual for your Fortnite person that makes sense. That's where your friends see you. It makes as much sense as like some of the shit I spent money on from like like Hot Topic in high school. <laughs> I mean, you're like you're cracking a door for something that I don't really want to go down. But I like I think that like as long as that's like happening simultaneously with you know the occasional real life interaction, like so we can still like remember like what it's like to you know like touch flesh then uh yeah i'm fine with it meet, dude it's all about me to me to interactions that's is it because it sure doesn't sound like it is <laughs> judging from what some of these people are uh like balaji are tweeting it, it it certainly certainly sounds like it's not it wait, 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 wait should i read you his tweet visualize a high value nft with a verified check mark in the virtual city square serving as both beauty and proof of the city's solvency no this has got nothing to do this has got nothing to do with music. <laughs> no, you're no, you're sitting in the virtual city square right before you watch your virtual Kings of Leon like uh, concert. Anyways, continue. Okay, so like wearing your exo suit that you uh, bought online with your guys, online friends that you've never met. I like it. Really, is impossible to overstate the fact that this is in fact how these people talk. It's mind melting. Like some of the discourse that I have had to consume to research this show. I'm like, what? This is this is gift bags, guys. Like this is hologram Pokemon cards. Well, like, let me put a pin is... on that for a minute. Let me put a pin on that, like you know, because it's easy to dismiss it. But I think the interesting thing about it is that is that while it is those things, and like while it's making them a shit ton of money, and while this is like a lot of like hype and everything, the more you actually delve into the startups and the companies and the tweets that these guys put out, and it is mostly men you find that there's also like world building going on. And there's actually, this is like very much, like very much a vision of a future in which I think that a lot of them like actually want to create. And I mean, you know, one could get into the psychology of like why that is, if it's like a power thing, if they actually really do want this world, you know, and all that. But I think that, you know, as much as it is easy to sort of poke fun of this stuff and, you know, there is that aspect that like this, these are the people that have a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of capital, a lot of connections, and actually like really feel like they have a hand in like what the future holds. And I think that that's something that we, that, that in the very easy ways of criticizing what's going on here, that we have to take in, take into consideration because as we're, as we're going to dive into, I think there are parts of this technology that if you are say, someone who promotes as you know we are ways in which technology can possibly offer better payouts for artists transparency and increasing equity for musicians and artists then you know we need to know that like maybe our vision of what we want out of this and maybe what their vision of what they want out of this maybe it's in conflict maybe there is a there's a middle ground but like you know it's there's it's complex but we have to realize that like they have a vision of what the way they want their world to be that we see through these tweets and there's a certain power at hand with that and then there's a lot of things that we're about to get into i think probably in the second half of the show in which like ways in which are more maybe egalitarian in a sense and maybe like artists can can take advantage of yeah i no no i i think i think that makes a lot of sense and it's true, right, that just because 
this is criticizable doesn't mean this isn't happening and doesn't yeah. mean that Good point. this shouldn't be engaged with. And that right. also, I think that the ways that NFTs are being talked about, like you say, kind of reflects a vision of what the world could be like and also gives us insight into the ways that people will think about how the world works, right? And th- th- there really is a messianic stream in initially the boosters which we've talked about why there's a very tangible financial reason for that but that's also kind of leaked out into the broader economy and like i the broader sorry that's also leaked out into the broader kind of media ecosystem around these products and like at some level from a musical standpoint like i get why right like Musicians have seen over the past two decades whether or not there was ever a time when like it was great to be a musician, like the value of money that people are spending on music that filters back to them for the most part decrease. The, the cost of living in so many cities in which like musicians used to hang out and play increase. These massive companies rise seemingly somehow off of the music that they're not getting paid for that are now worth billions and billions of dollars. These record companies like trip and fall and then get back up and be as dominant as ever before. They see a endless set of tours ahead of them as the only way to make money in a world in which either increasingly you go through Ticketmaster or you go through a set of indie venues that are being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And then on top of that, there's a pandemic that shuts down basically everything. So in the face of all of that, like I understand why the idea that these products could allow you to bypass the powers that be, connect directly to fans, create money and value for artists, and they could be the solution. And like, (laughs) I understand the urge behind that and and that makes a lot of sense to me and for me my real worry and my real concern about this is a as as righteous as that i feel like a lot of that urge is i do think the trust in this technology is misplaced because i, I again like i said this kind of earlier in a joke that i don't think any protocol or technology is going to be able to fix the problems in this music industry if only because of the fact that like if I had to pick one industry that tends to deal with technological disruption pretty well it's been the music industry like check it the major labels are still there they survived all that solid evaporating into thin air like they survived it and profited off it like they're going to figure this one out too but also because I think that the intersection of that hope and these boosters gets us into this weird and dangerous space. And I think that, Saxon, what you were saying about the fact that these a lot of these cryptocurrency boosters have a very specific vision of the world, like, I feel like I don't want the very righteous hopes of the music and the musician community. Yeah, I think riffing, yeah, and just, just, you know, to just real quick, like, you know, to add to that, I think that once again, totally understand the desire and the hope. And I'm like, we're here to like fan the flames of that, but have a, have a sense. Don't let that clap. Don't let that blind you to like, who's behind these like technologies and who's championing them. Like 
if you're a musician and you're interested in this stuff, is somebody like Mark Andreessen, Peter Thiel, and Mark Cuban, all of who had invested in OpenSea and uh, re- recently at the tune of like $23 million, which is the, the NFT marketplace, are they on your side? Are they are they in support of you? Now, maybe there's a middle ground and we can go ahead and talk about that a little bit. But I think like let's like at least like be aware of that reality and that fact. You know, and of course, I think there are definitely ways to wrangle this thing. Well, there's definitely been proposed ways in which we, which artists can wrangle this technology for their advantage. And I think that maybe that's maybe a good way to sort of um, transition here. You know, like, I don't know, Sam, like, do you feel that, you know, there are me- mechanisms or aspects of this space that give you at least a sense of possibility that could benefit artists or change the current, like, you know, the big pubs pulling the strings behind the streaming services, dripping out pennies to the majorities of artists. Like, you know, what, what, what are some like aspects of this specifically that maybe like offer a little peephole of uh, a a sea change? I'll put it that way. (laughs) So one of them, and this is like the, (laughs) the most dystopian one, but I think one of the most interesting one before we leave the kind of ground floor of NFTs and move into like more speculative applications yeah. of some of the technology behind NFTs and some of the thinking behind NFTs and how that could change how musicians are, are working. Staying strictly on the ground of NFTs. I'm fascinated by the idea of the NFT as an attempt to, go against the tide of mechanically reproduced production. I'm like, I am really intrigued by that idea, right? The idea, now, not the way it's going now, right? The way the way the NFTs are mm-hmm. function now is like, Grimes releases a thing publicly, and in addition, you can get a, a authenticated one. And that is... At that point, what you're paying for is the cachet. And, and I think also it's like not for the common listener. You know, we something that we talked about actually, I think almost two months ago when this was like first bubbling up was about how, and we were, I guess, kind of a little bit worried about this. Like what what would prevent somebody like a Kanye from dropping like five copies of an album and selling each for like a million dollars, which is extremely possible on this sort of like top level, or maybe you're saying ground level sort of NFT scarcity inflation thing that's going on right now. Well, yeah, and, and that's actually, it goes exactly to, like, one of the things I think is interesting, right? Which is that so far, like, in, in a world in which, like, the top 1% that or the 0.1% or the 0.01% hold an increasing amount of value, but at the same time, that social media cachet is increasingly the cultural capital and a central way that people circulate and move through the world, like... I could see, actually, and I I find this fascinating, though, like I said, ultra dystopian, like NFTs could be a way that you could put the genie of mechanically reproduced production back in the bottle, at least to a certain extent that like you were saying, you could have Kanye West could release Yandi, limit it to 150 copies that he auctions off. And that's the album. And then 150 people would... I think there's 150 people who would spend a million dollars on a Kanye record. Especially one that might appreciate in value as time went on. 
I think definitely. I think they would go for more than a million dollars. And all of a sudden, for the first time, you could be a recording artist and make limit, truly limited edition music. And that kind of changes the game. Again, it it caters exclusively to the elites. But like, unfortunately, we live in a world that caters exclusively to the elites. And people have pointed out that uh, Wu-Tang Clan, when they released famously, they made an album. They made one copy of the album. And they sold it to the notorious tech bro Martin Screlly. Um Canary in the coal mine, man. In some ways, like, yeah, right? Like, that worked. We haven't heard that album. It's a whole Wu-Tang Clan album that we've never heard, and they made a lot of money off it. I don't see why you couldn't do that now. Even though this wasn't attached to blockchain technology, it says that there's a market out there for super high-end music consumption. And what's fascinating is that unlike, unlike the Kings of Leon one, where it's, you know, the high-end NFT is four front-row tickets to see the Kings of Leon at every Kings of Leon show from now on. What's interesting about the Wu-Tang example and and more broadly what's interesting about the potential for these like high-end NFTs is like this isn't experiences around the music. I mean, it is in fact in, in, in owning it is an experience around the music, but like it's a change in music as a commodity and that's really interesting. Yeah, no that that is really interesting, but I think like let, let's let's move on because I think that actually, you know, a majority <laughs> <laughs> you know, once again, going back to something I said earlier that like, you know, if you're somebody who's looking for like, you know, uh, more equity and payouts for the majority of all of us, uh, small minion, small, medium size and like semi large artists out there, that is definitely not the way that we want things to go. Um, if, if you're, if you happen to be in that camp, if you're not like an investor or an extremely rich person looking for some, uh, cachet. Yeah. So this is where it gets a little more speculative, folks. Right. So, like, let's move a level up and let's start talking about ways in which artists, some artists out there are, like, are excited by some of these technologies and, you know, how they envision it as a possibility for them to not only take more control over their music, but to give, like, more equity into the actual, like, music space and, you know, uh, make some more money out of it and not have to be beholden to the sort of slow-moving uh puppeting of like big publishers and spotify and all that and i think that like one thing that people are like really getting excited about in some yes very select corners of the music industry because there's you know obviously a lot of people are still learning about this but this would be about the blockchain technology around the metadata that is the metadata that is embedded within an nft which as we've kind of mentioned a little bit before, like allows you to not only track all the resales, but obviously, but also like uh, gain royalties into the future. And also there is, I'm not quite sure, and obviously reach out to us, but there's also like developing technologies and it might be already possible that say your song that you sold as an NFT gets or whatever it may be, gets like reused in a way that you don't approve. Like say it gets put on like some like weird neo-Nazi like propaganda. You actually have control over that and you can actually like, I guess, uh, and this is really crude way of putting it, but I think you can just like zap it and take it, take it away, I guess. <laughs> like it's like, it's confusing, but there, that, but that is like one possibility. Maybe it's already possible uh, that I actually don't know specifically, but like, so already you're seeing these ideas about like having more control, like, and ha- having a more like direct to fan interaction and, 
making a little bit more money and residual money. And also, once again, going back to what we said earlier, the blockchain technology is like a digital ledger. So you can actually see that transparency. And I think that that's a huge thing that a lot of artists are really excited about because they want to be able, and they're already crying for this, to like have Spotify and the big publishers and everybody like, open your books, open your books. We want to see, we want to see this stuff, right? And of course, like, you know, I haven't really thought that, much about how the music modernization acts like relates to all this although i'm sure that's being run off blockchain technology or will be soon but like i think that this kind of gives artists like an direct sort of ability to open up the books and see like the money that they're entitled to and also like how their music's being used and then also like get a little bit of a kickback from it. And a lot of people are like really excited about yeah, that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and i do think that this to me functions on a couple different levels, right? So we're talking here about the potential for the ability built in the blockchain, built into these kind of transparent letters where people can see transactions and allows you to have contracts that are both secure and more public facing. And it allows very complicated interactions, the kinds of very complicated interactions that let's say uh, when a song uh, get, is performed I write a song, it's performed somewhere, that is collected by ASCAP. ASCAP pays part to me, part to my publisher. Let's say I have a different agreement with my publisher, that then gets split and sent to me. That can take months, and it can be very opaque, and um, if you like, look at our uh, episode of the Music Modernization Act, a lot of stuff, money doesn't always make it, I guess is the best way to say it. And the idea, at least, is that that's just one example of the kind of extremely complex contractual relationships. Forget And forget about that song was performed live in Brazil, right? Now, if in the U.S., literally forget about it. Don't like you're not seeing any of that money. But, you know, music musicians work across the world. Records are sold across the world. The resulting relationships can be incredibly complex and this could actually be a way to clarify and simplify some of those so that again they're public facing and so that um their artists are able to kind of look at these books that have been closed to them really always i mean sex and correct me if i'm that's that's really the promise here right yeah, yeah, I, yeah, promise or like potential for sure. The thing I'm most curious about is the role of the majors because obviously their heads are turned. I'm sure they're already talking about this. Maybe they're already like creating something. And and I'm curious like, you know, how they go about because I'm sure it'll happen try to either co-opt this technology to sort of put it broadly for their benefit or alternatively try to wrangle it in a way that benefits them in regards to how they like currently operate. And, you know, I, of course, something that, you know, you texted me uh, earlier this week, Sam, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if like NFTs are already being included in new contracts that the that these uh, publishers sign with artists like that's obviously already happening. Oh, oh, I mean, like, if you look at like the kinds of artist contracts, how they went from traditional contracts in which musicians only paid labels in relationship to the records that are sold to 360 contracts where labels get a cut of everything musicians sell and they didn't offer the musicians anything like the next round the next paramour is going to have an nft clause in their contract for sure right i have two thoughts on this and this is like where i wonder if the promises of the technology can kind of also uh be in a sense 
its downfall, at least into some of the more exciting prospects that a lot of artists in some circles are talking about. And so one part of the technology, one part of the blockchain is that you can actually like fork the technology. So essentially like uh, if Spotify was open source, like, and on the blockchain, and I like wanted to use that technology, I could take like 85% of like the technology of Spotify, uh, fork it off of Spotify and create my own sort of Spotify with like a spin on it, where like adding to the technology that like I building off of their technology. Um, and like adding kind of my own spin to it and like renaming it like Saxon's like uh, music streaming service. Now, like I, that's probably a crude way of putting it. And I'm sure there's a lot more like details involved that like I don't understand because I'm not a coder. And I and like by all means, like, you know, if we have any corrections that we need to follow up, but that is a feature of it. So like my one question I have is like, why, what would stop like a major label from just taking say a decentralized music platform, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, this major new player in the field called, called Audius, which already has over 3 million users. And if they see them as a competitor or say like whatever other platform or whatever other NFT, why don't they just kind of like grab a hold of that and like take the technology and make their own to their own advantage? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I think the short the short answer is it's going to happen. The shorter answer is it's probably already happening. I mean, I I do think though, just going. But but hold on, like if I so so but if I could just add so if I could just add like one more thing though, like I agree that's probably going to happen. It's probably already happening. But if I could just add one more thing, I do wonder, and this is the more positive, uh, I guess more theoretical sort of thought is I wonder if there's a way in which the excitement around the possibilities of some of these technologies don't in a way sort of shift how the majors and possibly like a Spotify and other big, slow moving, opaque uh, platforms and corporations that musicians are constantly struggling with and trying to get information and money from. If it somehow kind of like, you know, shoulders them along more towards what artists want. And maybe not in a and so so and just what I think the way I'm thinking about it is just like kind of the you know, the Napster story in a sense where it's like listen like at some point the majors had to come to terms with the fact that like spotify was blowing up and streaming was a thing and so they had to fucking embrace it you know and now they've taken control of it and you know you've you've heard previous episodes and if not please go back and listen but like i'm wondering if like you know there is that possibility so that's like me kind of finding that sort of like middle ground like working through the uh the the system <laughs> i guess <laughs> no no i i think i think that that you're right and and in addition to kind of like the excitement about it I do think that there's an interesting balance between the potential business benefits to everyone and the potential benefits to the artist. And it'll be interesting to see how, especially in relationship to major labels, how those benefits get distributed. So so what I mean is that the major labels, and we saw this with, for instance, the Music Modernization Act, where they the major labels and streaming services and others pushed a massive act through Congress in order to try to, to rationalize some of these systems, that major labels have been struggling and losing money on these complexities. They also want a simpler system and would love a technologically-based fix. And in, in fact, I think many of the major music blockchain technologies before the NFT boom um, 
were mostly kind of music tech and often kind of related to the major labels. That part of the Music Modernization Act uh, is based off of blockchain technology, some of the new song rights metadata uh, uh, organization. But what's interesting, and I don't know where, given this kind of heightened attention to this and given how excited people are, if these kind of contracts come in, what is the like where does the the balance of benefits go between the labels who are going to make more money because things are more efficient and artists who potentially could make more money because a lot of things that are very complicated and very opaque advances i mean like that's for that's just one example of a way that artists get screwed all the time all kinds of contracts even the ability to then compare contracts between different artists potentially all that opens up we haven't even we haven't even gotten into copyright oh yeah yeah but so so compare contracts between different artists like that could be a major benefit to musicians and it's not clear like do those come together and i do think that what's one thing that's really interesting about there's an intense contingency to the development and to the application of technology that whenever there's a new technology there's a ton of different potential applications for it and some get picked up and some don't and the ones that get picked up tend to then constrain the field going forward and there's moments of openness and moments of relative closeness and one of the exciting things is that we are in this moment of relative openness and it's possible that like the way that smart contracts for instance get applied because of this white hot spotlight that's on this space in this moment, ends up a version that is better for artists than the version that would have happened had the the industry-backed tech companies kind of slowly in the background without this wave change things. Now, that's not necessarily true, but it is a possibility. That said, one thing I've been thinking of, and I'd love to hear your take on this, Saxon, is like, we talk about artists kind of writ large, and that's what we've been kind of doing in this show so far. But actually, I think that's that's an analytic mistake because I think that, and this has been a problem with, for instance, organizing musicians always, is that there's a lot of rank-and-file musicians, some, some of whom are making careers. There's working musicians who are making careers. And then there's a, a select group of incredibly popular incredibly powerful musicians who oftentimes aren't just like fine with the system but have actively benefited from its application so if we think about the kinds of you know for the sake of don't sue us payola like activities that have surrounded drake and drake album drops on spotify where like drake is drake's new tracks are added to each and every new every major playlist across the top of spotify or if we talk about things that are in litigation like exactly how many streams did beyonce get on title and like how did that affect her payout and the potential that certain kinds of streams were added right that these top artists actually benefit from this system get massive payouts because of the system are fully maybe it's not fully equal power players but have extraordinary amounts of leverage within the system and i wonder like does jay-z want smart contracts does kanye west may have tweeted his contracts but like does he actually want smart contracts because as far as i can tell he's currently claiming that his 
intangible brand is worth several billion dollars, which may or may not be true, but probably won't show up on that contract. And I just, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your take about how these kinds of, of, of potential leveling technologies fit into the existing power structure of the music. Industry. Yeah, well, that, that, I think I think it actually, what's interesting, like going back to the beginning of the show, I think the bubble is actually working very much part and parcel with the industry. And I, I kind of went down like right before right before we, we recorded, and I think this relates to what you're saying, I went into some research because I was curious about the current digital art NFTs that are being sold and like how like the other ones outside of people, right? And what you're finding is that a lot, not all, but a lot of the ones that are like making like serious dough are people that are already known in some sort of form outside the art world you know it's not jeff coons but it's like you know they're like known within this sort of digital outside the art world space and then also like some of the platforms like super rare like you can't like open see anybody can go on there and like sell an nft but oh but with super rare like you have to like apply to like so once again what are we seeing here we're seeing a middleman which is the platform to sell we're seeing gatekeeping Right. So this is all like, you know, and then we're seeing the people that are making the most money are the people that are already actually not all of them, but are the, are the people that are already actually making are already known and already have a certain amount of following and cachet, cultural cachet, you know, in this space. So like it's already kind of reflecting, I think, the system as it is in thinking about this. I think that you could probably transfer that over to the music world where does Jay-Z want a smart contract? I think that if you look at this from an economic standpoint, anything that like helps Mark Andreessen, helps Jay-Z. So if he's on board, Jay-Z is going to be on board. And I, and I think that, and I, but I think that it brings up another more interesting point is that I do see a sort of split. And this is just me looking into my crystal ball where I do see sort of a split here between those more like elite artists who could like, you know, cause let's, 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 real, you know, Drake could like go completely independent right now and like drop an album like for like, you know, pay as you want or download for like however much on his fucking website. And like, you know, people would, it would still, it would sell millions. And so I, I do see like a little bit like, yeah, they're not going to benefit from it, you know? And so I do see some of the things that we're talking about. I do see a split here where the people, the, the circles of musicians that are like seeing advantages or possibilities with this technology is very much the sort of like medium tier and like low level, like artists who are the ones that are like outside of Spotify protesting, you know, for like fractions of pennies that they're getting on, on streams. Right. So like, yeah, that, let's be, that's a good, I think that's a good distinction that like, you know, I don't really like, I think that if like Jay-Z wanted to make some shitty internet art, he would sell it for billions of dollars, probably at Christie's with some, with some NFT. But like, yeah, when, in the musical context, yeah, like, you know, if, if it's to his advantage, I'm sure by all means. And I don't think, I think that he's like so big that like, you know, I think he's actually probably even beyond the labels that he's been, that he's like, that he built his career off of. But I would say that there are still artists like, you know, I take your point. There's still are artists that are very much working within that system. And like, yeah, like, why do they want to poke the beast? You know, for sure. But I mean, I, I, but even then I would say that like, you know, like, even if you're like working within the system, like you, you want to see where your money comes from, no matter how, how much like the system has benefited you. Yeah, totally. No. And I just, just, and I just think it's really important also when thinking about the space and the promise of um, smart contracts is that that differentiation you made right between kind of medium artists who are making a career versus artists who are trying to make their way up in this system and to just like remember when when we're thinking about the promises of something like a smart contract to remember to like 
inject the power relations that continue to structure the record industry into them, right? So we said earlier that we're like relatively confident that in the future, contracts, 360 contracts will likely include NFTs. And in the same way that like you can have a smart contract, but if you're trying, maybe you're not Drake or Jay-Z, but if you're trying to play that game, if you're a young rapper blowing up, Smart contracts or not, and it seems to me, unfortunately, that they can change things at the margins potentially and potentially change things at the margins in meaningful ways even. But you're going to still sign that contract because you they can give you a certain trajectory of career. The major labels can give you, and they're the only ones really who can give you that certain trajectory of career. And so you'll probably sign a contract even if you know how the contract works because power relations still function in the industry. Yeah, and and sticking with this, well, well, first of all, just riffing off that point, I think you can kind of see how, like, suddenly, like, the major label or the major publishers have, like, flooded TikTok in, in, in weird ways that, you know, aren't necessarily clear or above ground. Like, so I think that that's, you know, that, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And actually, just sticking with that, I think that also... This once again goes back to my point about, you know, if you're a smaller mid-level independent artist who sees the possibilities like in this technology and in this movement, you know, you have to ask and, and, and you have to ask yourself, like, you know, is somebody like a Mark Andreessen who is also in support of this really kind of like, you know, is there something at odds between like me and 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 those kinds of people? And so, and what I'm basically mean by that is that if you are someone in Silicon Valley who is going to make a lot of money off of this or sees and wants to take advantage of this burgeoning market, you want those major players. You want the Jay Z. You want the Drake. That's the people that you're actually interested in being involved. You're not interested, and you're not going to be happy with kind of this like neo bandcamp style platform that's like fully egalitarian. Let's like not see like you know like a, like a bandcamp where basically it's like you know built off a of blockchain. Uh, there's residuals that like we can maybe resell it or whatever. Let's think of like bandcamp as like a as like a digital like marketplace or something like that. What I'm saying is that like bandcamp doesn't have Jay Z. Bandcamp doesn't have Drake, right? And so like if you were like in this market creating you know and say you were actually specifically focusing on music i mean really anything like you're not you need those major players you want those major players and so once again like that right there is like if they if they're looking for those major players then their interest is not in like the low level artist you know because like they want the because like let's not forget the name of the game the name of the game isn't like i'm sorry to say this but it's not like you know making music and the art world more egalitarian it's about making some fucking dough and also shaping the world, but shaping the world in your vision to your advantage. And so, furthermore, I think a good example. I think a good example of where my sort of skepticism and my questioning lies. And like I say, I have this skepticism and I have this questioning because, like, you know, I do want this to do, to help the the sort of the fringe, the the lower level, the mid tier artists. But there's a decentralized, there's some decentralized music platforms that have been popping up. And one of the major ones, as I mentioned earlier, is this one called Audius. And it's it has like 3 million users already, it claims. Like I think Dead Mouse is a supporter, you know, and it's like it's creating some buzz and like some like once again, like some musicians in like some specific circles are like excited by the possibilities of this. And I'm skeptical. And the reason why my my skepticism my skepticism comes out of the fact that, you know, the founders are like very much rooted in that Silicon Valley uh world. And so my question is is like, how does 
Audius, Last, and Work without once again the major players as I was just as we were just discussing like a Jay Z or a Drake. But but you know and like I I think that like you know the fact that it comes out of that kind of world it just makes me like you know will this be to the actually to be to the advantage and there's some exciting cool things about it but like will this actually be to the advantage of the the smaller medium players but uh sam what what you know like what do you think about audius and like why don't you tell us like a little bit about some of the exciting aspects of it and like any other thoughts you have okay about it? so i mean saxon i think this is an area that you know better than i do so uh <laughs> jump in so basically my understanding is the audience and there's a couple of them are, are decentralized musical networks right so yeah they run on the same kind of blockchain technology and so instead of spotify being kind of the central hub for all of the music that's on spotify basically in this you put your music on this network and then other computers on this network connect to your music in various ways but like the people who built it could go away and the network your little fiefdom of the network would still keep running and it also gives you a lot more control over the network so my understanding is with with right now with audius like some tracks are going to cost money and that because of how instead of a uh Instead of the kind of a Spotify model where everything functions the same through the same user interface, um, this would be that you're able to set like, oh, if you want to listen to my track, it costs a dollar. And I can build that into the contract through which this track is put up on the network and through which it circulates. And so it does offer musicians a lot more flexibility and a lot more control over potentially over their over their music i mean it goes even farther where if like they're <laughs> apparently there's this democratic system uh with the company where you know it's almost like a <laughs> i don't know if this is gonna resonate with anybody but it's almost like a green bay packers style ownership where basically if there's like a new feature or aspect of the platform like basically if you are an artist on that platform you get to have a vote and like democracy wins apparently <laughs> uh which you know which i'm interested but, to see but, how that plays out and, and like what that means and you know that voter participation whatever but yeah it's 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 pretty interesting it's pretty um it's pretty out there i mean so the other thing though is weird though is to kind of bring it back to this like speculative aspect that's in all of this my understanding is the company itself isn't making money off of the transactions it has created all of this is based off of an audience currency basically like audience coins and the company is hoping that as people use them and kind of inject value and desire and demand into them the price of the audience coins will rise and that asset inflation that potentially speculative asset inflation won't be enough to keep the whole thing going yeah and this is the argument against my skepticism where you know they the the big question i think that was happening like four or five or six years ago when it came to you know like snapchat or uh twitter or whatever how they're gonna make money how they're gonna make money how they're gonna make money you know and i think you know ads and like we take a cut and like you know all this stuff and like you know here's like snapchat premium and all this stuff but apparently with this because it created its own cryptocurrency and which is the way that you you uh, that the exchange 
the NFTs or the files or the music or whatever it may be on their platform, uh, yeah, it would accrue value. And then that that in itself would sustain the company. So I think that even if you're like not involved on the platform, like say you're like, a, you know, you don't so you don't listen to music. Okay, so that's not happening. But like, so you don't really listen to music and you're not an artist on there. I think you, you can still, uh, I guess, invest would be like the best way to put it into their cryptocurrency. So I feel kind of two types of ways about this, right? Yeah. So at one level, at one level, I'm kind of really into this idea. I mean, I've been saying for a long time and you've probably heard me like forget, forget the, um, forget like the, the, the control and the potential customizability and the ways it could potentially revalue music. Like, I think it's all really neat, but like the central way that this, these kind of social networks, these kind of kind of crypto social networks make money. At some level, I'm really, really into it because, I mean, I've been saying for a long time that I think that one of the fascinating things about the music industry now is that music is more integral to more money-making activities that we do online and on life. Music is more omnipresent now than it was 20 years ago, but that the record industry only makes about as much money now as it did 20 or so years ago, which means that a tremendous amount of value has escaped into other industries. Tech industry probably is the the biggest culprit there, right? And so part of me I really likes the idea of a system where the kinds of social interactions, the kinds of paramusical dynamics that function around these spaces get valued and that value increases. And that's a cool way to kind of claw back some of the value that we all like at, at least i like in like emotionally feel that music has and like represent it in the world so that's at the other hand i don't know it, it i don't trust speculation it's not good it's it's a way first off the imbalances of power and information that separate out speculators from non-speculators are enormous and i really struggle to think of how the kinds of stability of 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 life and of work that you need to create a good community let alone good art function in this kind of hyper speculative environment and more than that i really part of me like i know that like music is a commodity but there is something about the democratic nature of the modern music commodity, right? I, I, I talk a lot about, like, there's a famous Andy Warhol line about Coke, right? He's like, I love Coke. Elizabeth Taylor drinks the same Coke as me. There's no better Coke. Rich people and poor people, everyone drinks Coca-Cola, and every Coca-Cola is equally good. And, like, there's a lot of just, mm-hmm. and that's a central part of, like, a certain kind of democratic consumerism. And obviously that has all kinds of fucked up applications clearly it's destroying the world but at the other hand there is something democratic about it yeah and the the idea that like my rolling stones record and your rolling stones record or my jay-z record and your jay-z record are all the same no matter what there isn't a better version of dirt off your shoulders there's just dirt off your shoulders and like to, to to take a kind of speculative economy where certain music is going to be valued so much more highly than other kinds of music and kind of bring every musical transaction under this like microscope of value to me i I don't know 
not like like speculation is one thing and i think that's going to be really deleterious but also it just feels uh, dehumanizing in a way that like really bums me out and i find deeply dystopian fascinating but dystopian yeah and uh i will go ahead strangely and i think wrap this up on like a slightly more positive note that you know I think it's easy in having these conversations to and understandable as well to sort of have a uh, to have a nostalgia for a kind of past either idea whether it actually happened or not or you know uh, some previous world before all this that we can return to when it comes to music. And something like a little bit more simplistic, because when we actually go to a concert or we like listen to a record, you know, there's a real feeling and emotion that that comes out of us that is so not wrapped up in, you know, fucking NFTs and cryptocurrencies and fucking platforms and shit, you know. And unfortunately, like you know, that's the reality. And like, if we want to continue to have those moments with uh, records and music, like we need to find a way to support these artists, right? And so. While I am very skeptical, as I've talked about for the last hour, and, you know, obviously, Sam, you're skeptical as well, I do still have some glimmer of hope that there's some either middle ground or there's some way, like, working through this technology and what's developing to sort of, like, strong arm or, like, arm wrestle something that's a little bit more advantageous and egalitarian for artists so we can continue to have those moments. And I think that making sure that we don't dismiss it because it's, you know, NFTs are bad art or because as I've been doing for basically the last hour, you know, somebody like Mark Andreessen's behind it. Like, yeah, be fucking skeptical. Like, don't trust these fucking people. And like, you have every right to, but also like, you know, maybe there's something that can come out of that, you know? And like, but like, you have to, you have to like not get, bogged down into sort of like the problems with it necessarily and really try to focus on I think the 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 positive aspects of it and like how you can create a sort of like a vision of a future that can that can compete or be in step with these guys's vision of the future because like I said at the top of the show it's not just about making money these guys want to shape our world and so, like, if you want to shape our this is gonna sound really silly and corny but like if you want to shape our world you need to have a fucking vision of it you know, and so like I, I worry, you know, I, I've read a lot of comments and I've like watched panels and like it's really easy to like criticize this stuff. And I think we should criticize it. But like, let's criticize it uh, in an effort to sort of make a better system that, you know, isn't Spotify dropping, you know, point zero zero one percent of pennies on like 30,000 fucking spins. Like, let's make it something better. So let's not just like get bogged down the criticisms of how like how this new blockchain technology and NFTs and the fact that Silicon Valley like stop us from like still trying to see if there is something there that we can use. I think I'll just like leave it at that. (laughs) Please sign up for our newsletter moneyfornothing.substack.com. We do this for free because we find it interesting and worthwhile. Uh, so if you could possibly just uh, give us a little love by like giving us a little rating and a review, we'd really appreciate it. But also, we love community and engaging with people. And so if you think we said something that was dumb or wrong or have an alternate opinion, please, by all means, hit us up. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll have you on the show. 
uh, we're always uh, interested in other opinions. But uh, yeah, yeah, money money for nothing podcast at gmail.com. Oh yeah, that's the email. Yeah, and I would also say that uh, just just to really wrap things up here, that you know, <laughs> if you haven't gleaned this already from this episode, it's a very much evolving, quickly evolving space that we're watching, and so uh, we will definitely be paying close attention to it. But we, as much as we try on Money for Nothing to not be in the business of hot takes as much as as much as we can. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be watching, we'll be thinking, we'll be contemplating and like, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes.